Good. All right. Well, we're rich, folks. We have a heavenly bank account in which the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit contribute. Last week, we looked at two blessings from the Father, that he chose us and adopted us. Today, we're going to look at three blessings from the Son and two from the Holy Spirit, who also contribute to our heavenly riches that are found in Christ. So my text is Ephesians chapter 1, 7 to 14. Let, let's look through that as we're going through the book of Ephesians and just going kind of slowly through it verse by verse. All right. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us and all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let's look at the three blessings from the Son. The first is redemption. Now, redemption isn't a word that we use in our everyday language. It meant to purchase a slave's freedom. So as Paul is writing this here, perhaps he's thinking back to Israel's history of the Jewish slaves in Egypt who God removed from Egypt in the exodus to the promised land. Exodus 6, 6 says, say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And with great acts of judgment. But more than likely, Paul was probably thinking about slavery in the Roman Empire. There were six million slaves in the first century in the Roman Empire. That, that's a third of the population. We know that slaves have no rights. But someone could buy their freedom in that slavery then. Paul mentions that in 1 Corinthians 7.21. So the idea is being set free, redeemed purchased first Corinthians 6 19 to 20 or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God you are not your own for you were bought with a price so glorify God in your body there are lots of things that we can be enslaved to money a mortgage food drugs alcohol popularity we were all once slaves of sin, as Paul says in Romans 6:17. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Christ paid the price to set all of us free from slavery of sin. What did he 
purchased us with and set us free with his blood. Blood in the Bible, the life is in the blood. And the idea is of exchange where the innocent gives its blood for the guilty. And there's an exchange of righteousness that takes place. Christ gives his life for ours. Let me read 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 and then Hebrews 9, 22. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. The Hebrews passage, indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood and without the shedding of blood. There is no forgiveness of sins. If you watch the movie, The Passion, remember the scourging scene? Oh, it was so graphic and vivid. But as I was watching, I was thinking, all the blood, so much. Think of your child's blood, your, their life, how precious that is to you. And then think of Jesus as the son of his father. And how horrible it must have been for his father, God, to give over his son, to shed his precious blood for you and I, to pay the price for our sin, to redeem us from the slavery of sin into freedom. And that leads to forgiveness, which means to loosen or carry away. In Psalm 103:12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. God carries our sins away from us. He dismisses them. He no longer holds them against us in Christ. Now, this idea harkens back to the, the Day of Atonement, the one day of the year on Israel's calendar when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies with the blood of a sacrificed goat and sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat or the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. But a second goat was also involved in, in that ritual that day. The high priest would take his hands and put it on the head of the scapegoat, as it was called, and symbolically transfer the sins of the people of Israel for that year onto the head and body of that goat, and then they would leave that goat out into the desert wilderness and then leave it out there for it, obviously, to die. It would go into where the, the demons were, I think, was the thinking of the day. It carried away the sins of the people. Now, what does the Bible say about Jesus, who he is? Jesus, in John one twenty nine is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. All the sins, yours and mine, were placed on him, and he bore them on the cross. Second Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, he, God, made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't that wonderful, that exchange? God forgives sins, our trespasses. Uh, our mistakes, when, when we fall short of the mark, when we deviate from the path, all our slip-ups. First, First John 1 John 1.9 tells us that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us all sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Every sin forgiven, the big ones, the small ones. He cancels all the debt. 
let's say your home mortgage, you could no longer pay it and you're going to be put out. But someone comes along and agrees to pay off your mortgage. And so your debt is canceled because of Christ. Tells us that in Colossians 2, 13 and 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses, moved them, carrying them away from us by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. That's spiritual riches, folks. God, it says in Paul says here in this text, lavished that grace on us. I read about a guy who paid twenty eight thousand dollars for a whirlpool tub in his house. I would call that lavish. Or a lady who flew from Colorado to New York City to buy a purse for $45,000. That's a lavish purchase, obviously. But none of that compares to the lavish grace that God gave us in giving his only son, who was God, to take our sins upon himself on the cross and shed his precious blood. Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior today? Do you have... The, the spiritual blessing in your heavenly bank account of being redeemed from the slavery of sin. Let's look at a second blessing of Jesus Christ. He revealed the mystery of his will. He revealed the mystery of his will to us. Are you a person that likes mysteries, mystery stories and novels and shows like Agatha Christie? We don't know who done it. Until the end, then we see, oh, that's who did it. But remember Columbo, the TV detective? If you remember that show, I always liked Columbo. He was kind of a bumbling guy. Now, we always knew at the beginning who did it, but Columbo didn't. So we got to watch with him as his wheels would turn, and he kind of figured it out. You would think that the, the bad guy was going to get away with it, but Columbo always got him. Well, that's a mystery in how we think of mysteries, something unsolved, something really hard to figure out or something may never be figured out. But that's not how the Bible uses the word mystery. A mystery is a secret that's been revealed. It was hidden in the Old Testament times, but now to us it's been revealed through Christ. A couple passages in Romans. Romans 11. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. He says, I want you to know this mystery. And in Romans 16, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings, has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. Why did he reveal this mystery? Paul says in our text, because it pleased him. It gave God joy to do this. How did he do it? Through Christ. In the Old Testament, the prophetic writings, they got a glimpse of it, but it's been fully revealed to us. When was it revealed? Galatians 4, 4 says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, 
God sent his son, God the son, to this earth as a human being to relate to us, to take our sin upon himself. I know at times history, if you read it, it can seem like thousands of unconnected events. But God will tie it all together in Christ. Everything points to him. He's the pinnacle of it all. And don't lose sight of that. Philippians 2, 9 and 10 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Jesus Christ is the goal of all human history. He's the culminating event, the lasting greatest thing. He's the unifying event. God will bring everything under him. He's the sanctifying event. He will make us to be who we were made to be originally by God. I encourage you, give your life to Christ. Invest your life in him. He's worth every sacrifice you'll ever make. What's our third blessing in the Son? Through him we've received an inheritance. We've received an inheritance. In verse 13, something happens grammatically. The pronouns change from us and we to you. Paul was talking about Jewish believers in verses 11 and 12 and Gentile believers in verse 13. Also, it becomes more personal. I think you could actually substitute your name here in this section and it would read beautifully to you. So verses 1 to 10 general and universal, 11 through 14, more specific and personal. Also in this section, we see the words chosen and predestinated again. I would urge you to think about that as on not who isn't, but rather rejoice that you are. Pray for those who don't seem to be, who aren't bearing fruit. Pray for them and witness to them. Encourage them to give their life to Jesus Christ. Paul says, we're included in Christ. I am and so are you. We're part of the in crowd, as it were. We've been invited. We've been adopted. We're part of the family. We will receive an inheritance. Don't be like the foolish virgins who were invited to the wedding feast but did not fill their lamps with oil and were left out in the dark. You have an in with God through Christ. The blessings of the Son are yours. You are a member of God's very family. You have been richly blessed in the spiritual realms through Jesus Christ. So tap into it. And now let's look at a couple of blessings of the Holy Spirit. He contributes to our heavenly bank account as well. There are two incredible word pictures here that Paul uses of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The first thing, he seals us. Emperors and generals had seals that they used, and you did not dare tamper with them. An example from the book of Daniel 6.17. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, and nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. And Jesus' very tomb in Matthew 27, 66 says, And so they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone 
and setting a guard. So what they would do is they would melt wax on paper, and then the king would take his ring with his crest on the ring and push it, press it down into that wax, which would seal the paper, and that would be something you, you wouldn't mess with. So what are some meanings of the word seal? Let's explore this and unpack it a little more. A seal meant completion. Something was completed. A document, a legal document was notarized. You know, the seal of the notary, it shows that this transaction is completed. Also, ownership was conveyed by the seal. Like you, a farmer might brand his cattle with his insignia or seal is on the cattle. That shows ownership. It shows who the cattle belong to. They belong to that rancher. That's his brand. God has done that with us. We bear his seal. We belong to him. We are his. We're no longer Satan's. The third idea of the seal is security. Like the soldiers who sealed Jesus' tomb with with the emperor's seal or or with the, the governor's seal. And then they guarded it. And no one dare break in. They would be killed if they tried to. God has put his seal on us. We're his. He guards us. He protects our life. Satan can't have us. The fourth idea is authenticity. Authenticity. The seal proved that the document was real. Anyone could say, well, the king said this. But if you had his seal, you would know this is the real thing. The Holy Spirit within you is proof that your faith is real. Romans 8, 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So that says there could be people even within churches who are not his. They don't have the Holy Spirit within them. They're not born again. And the last thing on the seal is authority. The seal showed that the king was behind this. The police officer's badge shows us that the state is behind him or her. God stands behind you. So the Holy Spirit in sealing us does all of those wonderful uh, components of what it means to seal us. And the second ministry of the Holy Spirit to us is he is the deposit who guarantees our inheritance. The deposit who guarantees our inheritance. You might think of this as a warranty. When you buy an expensive item, it's always nice to have a warranty. It gives you a little more security. God's guarantee to you of salvation is the Holy Spirit. It's the proof that you have eternal life. Now, I was in real estate for a very short time when I was 19 years old, back in 1977. It was not a good time to be in real estate, if you remember those years. Terribly high rates at the bank to get a loan, 18, 20%. So a lot of the deals, I'd sell a piece of property, the people could not qualify for the loan because the interest rates were so high and the deal would fall through. Deals that did stick, the people would put a down payment. They would put a deposit on that property. And a deposit was saying, here, I'm giving this at this time, and I promise that I'm going to give the rest in the future. And if they backed out of the deal, they could lose their money. 
The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our future inheritance with God. Another analogy to think about would be a wedding ring or an engagement ring, rather, an engagement ring. It's a pledge that I'm going to marry you. You might be engaged for a few months, but hopefully, Lord willing, you'll be married for years and years. So we're the bride of Christ. The Holy Spirit is God's engagement ring to us as saying, I want to be with you forever. We're going to have a wedding. I've got a wedding plan for you, my bride, at the second coming of Jesus Christ when he receives his bride. And then there will be a wedding feast after that. So the guarantee of that day is the Holy Spirit. So these are some of our blessings that are in our heavenly bank account from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we will acquire possession of them. We get glimpses now, sneak peeks of what it's going to be like. Do you have the Holy Spirit? Does the Holy Spirit have you? How do I get this guarantee? Verse 13 tells us, you heard the gospel and believed. That's our part. We believe. We believe it's true. And we stake our life on it. It's that simple. Have you asked the son to forgive your sins? If you have never done that, do that today. In fact, if you've done that that one time and you are born again, but you're not walking closely with the Lord before we take the Lord's Supper, you need to confess those sins and be ready to receive the body and blood of our Lord. If you've never asked the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, come and live inside of me. Do that right now, right where you're seated before you take communion. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you've inspired the Apostle Paul to write such deep, wonderful truths to us. And when we understand what it means, we're just left in awe. You have been so good to us. You've lavished all this grace on us. We don't deserve it. We were your enemies. We were hostile to you. We were doing our own thing, going our own way. But Lord, you turned us around because of what Jesus did. And thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit to live inside of us, to convict us when we go the wrong way, to show us that's the wrong way. Turn and go this way. Lord, I pray that each person in here this day does know you as his or her personal Savior, that they've confessed and forsaken their sins and turned and trusted in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. And, and they have the evidence of that because the Holy Spirit lives in them. And if there's anyone here this morning that that's not true in reality, that it would be right here, that there would be a spiritual transaction that takes place and you would seal them with your Holy Spirit because they are trusting in you alone for salvation and that they would be in heaven forever as your bride. And Lord, prepare our hearts right now. Let us use this time to confess sin, to draw close to you as we take the bread and the cup. And that strengthen us. It would strengthen us spiritually. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, just a couple of...
items before we take communion. You who are regular here, you, you pretty much know how this works. The ushers will come down your row and release you on the outside aisles by the windows to come down to each station here. So we have the bread and the cup, but we also have the self-contained little units where it's all in there if you would prefer that.